must say tonight, I commend all of you for being in the house of the Lord tonight because it was a choice and um, it's easy when your routine changed to say, or when something changes to say, well, that's not a part of my routine. And I appreciate everyone being here tonight. I was talking to someone not long ago before I came, um, a leader in the district. And I want you to pray for our leaders. And the reason why I want to mention this is because some of the leaders that are leading us, they're having a challenging time adapting to the non-committal ways of people. Because the era that we came up in, we never thought about what we would go to and not go to. <laughs> it wasn't a thought to us. You know, it's just, okay, whatever is whatever's being done, whatever event, we're not, nobody's asking, are you going? The only way we ask, are you going, is if we needed a ride. That was it. And so now when you're trying to lead and you put on events and you say, hey, you know, uh, we're doing this event. Uh, it, it becomes optional. And folks are responding to the plans and what we're doing in this last hour um, that is kingdom related. It, it's whether or not we feel like it fits in our plans. And so leaders, uh, they might not communicate this to you, but they're struggling um, when they feel like they have planned something that is for our spiritual well-being, that something has been planned for us to grow, um, you know, plan that will help us, you know, get closer and deeper into our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And then, you know, we kind of just kind of poo-poo it and say, ah, that's not something we do on Friday or that's not something we do on Saturday. You know, you might be committed and faithful to your Sunday service, but when there are other things planned, will you say, God is wanting to take me someplace and he's going to use this opportunity. He's going to use this service to help me on this journey that I'm on. So pray for our leaders because that's not something that they're going to communicate to you all the time. But probably you know by now that I'm, I'm just... I'm just not shy concerning the things of God. There are other things that I might lay low and not say a whole lot, but I am so, so about the kingdom of God, and I just want to please him that I'm not going to hold back on you when it's concerning the things of the kingdom, the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot hold back on that. It's going to be up to you what you do with it, but I have to stand before God and give an account for what he has called me to do in ministry. I got to give an account for that, just like you do. You have to, in case you don't know, you're going to have to give an account with what God has given you and entrusted in you to say, what did you do with what God has entrusted you with? So we're all going to have to give an account. You know, it might be different accounts, but we're all going to have to give an account. So pray for our leaders. I, 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 I really was challenged and, um, you know, really want to uh, make sure the Lord is helping us um, because it's tough for some of our leaders that, that understood or understand the way it used to be and now this change. And I try to explain 
that unfortunately it's not just here in this area, but it's all over. That commitment, I don't know what happened. That faithfulness, I don't know what happened. Makes me a little nervous that we can not be faithful to the Lord and not be committed to the Lord. Makes me a little bit nervous. Uh, but you know, when you see it, all you can be is responsible for yourself. You've, have, you've got to say, I'm going to do everything that I can. And if you have small children, you've got to make them. Right? As long as they're under your authority, you make them. <laughs> you know, some, some parents now, you know, we're so far gone, we're talking about, well, you know, they have a choice. What choice? You're a child. And I'm raising you, and this is what's best for you. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, my Lord. So pray for our parents. Pray for our leaders. I thank God that I know how real he is. Don't you realize that in this hour, you can't always tell what's real? You getting quiet on me? Things are happening, and you're wondering, is somebody pulling the strings behind the scenes or not? Things are happening, and you're wondering, is this really happening, or I'm just imagining things? And so there's a lot that's transpiring in our world, and it's, it's not always easy to, to, to understand that, is this real? And I just thank God that no matter what's going on, I know he is real. And even when I can't discern what is happening around us, what I do know is Jesus is real. And I thank God for that revelation of who he is, knowing that he is real. And no matter what is going on around me, I can trust the Lord to say, God, you have revealed yourself to me and I know you're real. I know Jesus is real. I don't have the answer to all of what's going on around me, but I know Jesus is real. And I'm going to cling to the Lord no matter what's going on. You need to cling to the Lord Jesus no matter what's going on because you can't always tell what is right and what is wrong and what is real and what is not. But everything about Jesus is real. Everything about the Lord is real. And so, no matter what's going on, hold on to God's unchanging hand and say, God, I don't understand what's going on. You do. I don't need to understand everything, Lord. And what I will do is trust you, commit myself to you, and be faithful to you because nothing else really matters. Because all of it that's going on is just heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So we get it down to the studs. We might as well just understand all of this, no matter what we might think of it, one day it will all be gone, and all we're going to be left with is Jesus. Why not just be with him now? Why, why wait till it's too late where you realize you have missed out on eternity with him? Let's just be with Jesus now. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. 
Jesus, I am so thankful that we as your body can come together in such a time as this, Lord God. And even though, Lord God, our world is in turmoil and there is confusion, Lord God, and there's deception, Lord God, and there's lying, Almighty God, we can rest in you and know that you are real. We can depend on you. We can trust you. And we know, Lord God, that you will see us through. Tonight, Almighty God, we worship and adore you. We praise the matchless and miraculous name of Jesus. Oh, God, have your way tonight as we give you the honor, as we give you the praise. We want your will to be done. Your kingdom come in the name of Jesus. Let somebody just worship the Lord tonight. Somebody thank the Lord tonight. Somebody bless the Lord tonight. Somebody be obedient and not just worry about what you feel, what you're experiencing, but be obedient and press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Oh, come on, let's praise him tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's worship him tonight. Generation to generation, we worship you. 
tonight again. There was a word last night, and we thank God for the word of the Lord. We thank God for the man of God, 
and his bride coming from Connecticut to be with us. And we're grateful and we're thankful. They are a blessing to us even when they're not here. Believe me. Even when they're not here. They're, they are a blessing to this church. And we thank God for the Dibbles. Amen. We want the man of God, Pastor Dibble. Amen. Pastor Dibble. Come on, my friend, and minister to the congregation. I can get you pepperoni pizza before you leave. Praise the Lord, everyone. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter number 12, and we're going to read one verse of Scripture together. Praise God. It has been such a, a joy, a privilege to be here with you these last couple of days. And um, let me just say what a, a great host your pastor has been. Wonderful hotel room, a beautiful gift basket there. I'm fighting with my wife over who gets the chocolates and who gets the apples. I was trying to give her the apples and take the chocolates for myself, but I'm not winning that battle. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to keep on fighting, though. <laughs> Praise God. But your, your pastor and, and wife are such precious, precious people. And uh, it's just a privilege to be here this evening. Now, sometimes as pastors, we look out in the congregation and we say, well, this one's not here tonight, and, and that one's not here tonight, and we're missing this other one. And we get so focused on those who aren't here that we miss those who are here. And so we can't do anything about who is or his isn't here right now, right? We're here tonight, and so we might as well enjoy ourselves. We might as well open up our hearts and our spirits to the presence of the Lord tonight and just let him do what he wants to do tonight. Amen? Praise God. I'm going to read a verse of Scripture here, Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1, and then I've asked my wife to sing. Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I want to preach this evening on this subject. There's no worship without sacrifice. There's no worship without sacrifice. You can be seated.
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I give you praise, Lord. Oh, I give you praise, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There's no one like you, Jesus. You're the only true and living God. I worship you today, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm preaching this evening. There's no worship without sacrifice. One of the foundational principles of biblical study is called the law of first mention principle. It is the hermeneutics principle by which God indicates in the first mention of a subject the truth with which that subject stands connected in the mind of God. That means the first time a thing is mentioned in Scripture, it carries with it a meaning that will be carried all throughout the Word of God. So when you first encounter a new concept or idea or word in Scripture, you can discern a lot from its setting and context about how the Bible is going to view that word or subject throughout the entirety of Scripture. For instance, the first prophecy in Scripture is mentioned in the third chapter of Genesis, and it foretells the coming of the Lord Jesus. It establishes several key understandings of how God uses prophecy. First of all, the first prophecy comes after the fall of man. Subsequent prophecy will work in the same manner throughout Scripture. Prophets and prophecies will not come during the normal state of affairs, but they will always show up in the shadow of human failure when things begin to break down and judgment is about to come. Secondly, Bible prophecy always points toward the Redeemer. It doesn't just forecast doom and despair, but it always contains an element of hope. Another example of this principle is the first mention of blood in Scripture. It comes in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain murders Abel. There's much to be learned from the utterance of God when he said, Thy brother's blood crieth to me from the ground. Abel was a shepherd. He was innocent, but his brother despised him. He died a violent death, and afterward his blood cried out to God. We see a wonderful parallel there to the good shepherd who was hated by his brethren and crucified by violent and wicked men. His blood, too, cries out. Hebrews says that it speaks of better things than the blood of Abel. We learn very quickly the incredible significance that first mention of it in the Word of God. This evening, I want to draw your attention to the first mention of the word worship. It's first mentioned in the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis. 
Once again, the context is very important. The word worship is introduced to us by Abraham's precious son Isaac are preparing to make the long and lonely trek up Mount Moriah. God has called Abraham to do a very difficult thing. God has commanded him to take his son, his only son, the hope of his future, and offer him as a sacrifice to God. Abraham has gathered the tools of the sacrifice. He has the wood for the fire. He has a knife for the shedding of the blood and ropes to bind the sacrifice to the altar. The third day of his journey, he arrives at the foot of the mountain and as he transfers the wood to the back of his promised son, he tells the servants, You wait here. The lad and I are going to yonder mountain to worship. That's the context in which God introduced call it sacrifice. Abraham called it worship. That tells us a lot about what worship should be. The first mention of worship, the foundational understanding of worship is drastically different from our idea of what worship is today most times. When we say worship, we think of a praise band. We, we think of a, a group of singers and a worship leader that are singing joyful songs to the Lord. That's not how Abraham perceived worship. As far as Abraham was concerned, worship was the act of giving God the most precious and valuable thing in your life. Abraham understood what God was asking of him. Abraham realized that this was about so much more than his son. Abraham understood that God was asking him to surrender everything to him. All of his hopes were invested in Isaac. His future was contained in Isaac. Everything that mattered to Abraham was walking beside him that day as he started up the mountain. And God required a sacrifice. Let me tell you something about Abraham. He didn't view it as a burdensome request. He didn't look at it as God overstepping or overreaching his bounds. He, he didn't approach it as a mandatory gesture. Abraham said, I and the boy are going yonder to worship. I think all too often we view the elements of the Christian life as a burdensome thing to do. All too often we view our holiness standards as the church overreaching its authority. All too often we view or we go through the motions of our service to God as some mandatory gesture that we're giving to the Lord. And we forget the fact that He has redeemed our life from destruction. 
We forget the fact that He took my place on the cross. We forget the fact that He paid the price to redeem my life from the auction block of sin one day. And we don't say it out loud, but we think it to ourselves at times. Do we have to keep doing these things for the rest of our lives? When will my debt be paid in full so I can live and do the things that I want to do and live and do the things that are pleasing to me? And that's the problem because we're trying to pay a debt that has already been canceled. We're trying to earn our salvation with the things we do. And salvation will never be earned. But sanctification and holiness will be a continual setting ourselves apart from the rest of the world in worship unto the Lord. There's no worship without sacrifice. Now, Abraham had peace about the whole thing. We don't ever see him in a panic here. Had this happened earlier in his life, we might have seen a different Abraham. But at this point in his life, he has learned that he can trust God. And Abraham knows that no matter what God requires from him, God is going to keep His promise. Abraham knows exactly what he's getting ready to do. He's walking up that mountain to worship his God. He's about to give God the most prized treasure in his life. He's about to demonstrate in the most convincing way possible that he worships God and everything else in his life is secondary to that. To Abraham, sacrifice was the most fundamental element of worship. To Abraham, worship meant giving God my very best. There's no worship without sacrifice. Now, let's stay in the same geographical location. We're still on that lonely hilltop called Mount Moriah. But let's fast forward through time to a day that occurred over 600 years later. David was the king of the nation of Israel. The mighty nation that God promised to bring forth out of the lineage of Abraham. This day comes after David had been provoked by Satan to number the children of Israel. Essentially, David put his confidence in the strength of his armies instead of the mighty power of his God. And God reacted by causing a great plague to sweep through the land, decimating Israel. An angel of the Lord appeared beside a threshing floor on the same mountaintop where Abraham offered Isaac and he began to bring judgment to the people of God. Once David understood his wrong and 
once he realized what he had done under divine instruction, he went to that very threshing floor to offer a sacrifice unto God. He recognized that he needed to reestablish the preeminence of God in his life. And the only way to truly do that is through worship. So David went to the threshing floor which was owned by Arnah. Arnah offered to give David the land that the threshing floor was on as well as the threshing instruments for wood and any animal that David needed for the sacrifice. David's response shows us that his view of worship was the same as Abraham's. David said, I'm not going to pay or I am going to pay you what it's worth because I will not offer a burnt offering unto God that doesn't cost me something. He said, I came here to worship. You see, this is about more than just stopping the hand of destruction. This is about reestablishing the fact that God is the Lord of my whole life. Stick with me here. Because sometimes we get really desperate when things are not going our way. And we pull out all the stops and attempt to worship God so that He will change the present circumstances that I find myself in. When we're in crisis, we show up to church every Sunday and during the week as well. When we get bad news, we come rushing down to the altar and cry out to God. But can I tell you the real sign of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity is when you show up in the good and in the bad. The real sign that you are growing in the Lord is when you offer the sacrifice of worship even when God doesn't do what you want Him to do. The real sign that you've reached a mature level in the Lord is when you just live a life of worship in spite of what is going on around you. So for David, this is not about stopping the destruction. This is about sacrifice. And I will not offer a sacrifice unto God that does not cost me something. I will not give God something that isn't precious to me. So on the very same ground where Abraham offered Isaac, David recognized the fundamental element of true worship is sacrifice. And he said, I will not make a cheap sacrifice unto God. I'm not interested in sidestepping the cost of sacrifice because I came to worship God. I'm not looking to shortchange God. I'm not looking just to put my time in and punch the clock of religion and, and say, look at my time card, God. I showed up today. I'm not going to shortchange God. I'm not looking for an easy way out. 
other kings in Israel's history would choose the easy road. Other kings would make worship into an obligation and a duty that they came to despise, but not David. David understood there is no worship without sacrifice. He joined his voice with Abraham and said, I'm going to give my very best. Now a generation later, King Solomon, David's son would set out to build a temple unto God, a house of worship for God to dwell in. And when he got ready to lay the foundation of that much-anticipated temple, do you know where he laid it? He laid it on the foundations on that same hallowed ground where Abraham established the true meaning of worship. And where David established the true meaning of worship. What I want you to grasp this evening is that the temple was built on land that was legendary because of the sacrifices that were made there. The foundation of the temple was sacrifice. The whole centerpiece of worship was established on generations of sacrifice. And for years to come, the skies over Mount Moriah would hang dark and heavy with the cloud of smoke that rose up from the daily burnt offerings that were offered on the brazen altar. The smoke would serve as a continual reminder that worship is all about sacrifice. The very act of worship will always center around sacrifice. It will forever be perceived as giving to God our very best. The lambs that went on that sacrificial fire were the best that Israel had to offer. They didn't just bring any old lamb to God, but they selected the very best that they had. I'm preaching tonight, there's no worship. Without sacrifice. So when Paul addresses the subject of worship in Romans, we shouldn't be surprised to find him talking about living sacrifices. Paul's view of worship was the same as Abraham's and David's and Solomon's worship is about sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's your reasonable service. The proper interpretation of the Greek word that is rendered as service here is a debate among many scholars. The Greek word that uh, is a word that is commonly referring to ritual worship and is used in such a manner by Paul in other instances in his writing. The dispute between the translation of the word as service as it is rendered here. In the King James Version, in the translation of the word as worship, as it is rendered in many modern 
translation centers around the meaning of worship. Some view worship as something that happens at church in a formal worship setting. And and those who feel that way believe that worship is too restrictive of a translation because in their minds it does not encompass the other acts of Christian service that take place in our day-to-day living. This is the reason why the translation service was preferred by the translation committee of the King James Version. They lived in an age when worship was seen as the stuff that goes on for a half an hour in a church service before the preaching of the Word. Now, I believe that represents a fundamental misunderstanding of what real worship is. Worship is something you do with your whole life. It is not limited to the half hour of singing that takes place before the preaching. Don't misunderstand me. Church worship is important. It must not be neglected. It really does matter. But worship is a whole lot bigger than what happens in church on a Sunday or a Thursday. Worship is a way of life. Worship is the same or should be the same on a Monday and on a Tuesday as it is on a Sunday. The problem with limiting worship to a scheduled interlude on Sundays is that it becomes an obligation. When worship becomes a time slot in our busy schedule or a performance that you have to participate in, it becomes a chore. It becomes just another job you have to do. It becomes a mandatory effort or something you do half-heartedly. Your words praise Him. Your music exalts Him. But your heart drifts away from Him because worship was never intended to be a block of time on your calendar. Worship is about your whole life. Every element of Christian service is worship. Everything that we do in our day-to-day living should be worship unto God. I submit to you today the truth that service isn't really service until it becomes worship. I want to underscore the fact that Paul is talking about worship here in this verse when he says your reasonable service. Your reasonable worship. Now, Paul also views worship as a living sacrifice. Paul says that we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. 
The word sacrifice that is used here is the common word for the animal or the thing being offered up in a ritual of worship. The language of this verse is intended to invoke the imagery of Old Testament worship and Paul is drawing a contrast between the sacrifices that were offered up in the Old Testament that die and the sacrifice that is offered by New Testament believers that continues to live. Here we see the final application of Abraham's view of worship because the lad that he walked beside up that mountain to be offered to God as a sacrifice didn't die. Abraham went so far as to place him on the altar to prepare the wood and to draw back the knife. He was so committed to the sacrifice that the writer of Hebrews says that he actually received Isaac back from the dead. By the wonderful mercies of God, that which was offered as a sacrifice unto God in that first example of worship became essentially the very first living sacrifice because he walked back down the mountain with a life that had literally been given back to him by God. Likewise, Paul would later say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Paul said he no longer lives in the sense that he controls his life. He has taken up his cross. He has denied himself. And he has given to God his very best. And now, Jesus Christ lives in me. His life is a living sacrifice unto God. I've come to tell somebody in this house today that worship is about more than what we do in the brief moments before the preaching of the Word. Worship is about more than a song you've sung a hundred times that you could sing without ever giving it much thought anymore. Worship is about more than just setting things on autopilot and getting through another Sunday service. Worship is about sacrifice. Worship cannot be contained in a single segment of time on a Sunday morning. Worship encompasses the whole of your life. Without sacrifice, there is no worship. God forbid that we allow ourselves to get to the place where worship becomes an obligation for us to fulfill on a particular day. Worship should be a lifestyle. Worship should invoke every part of our lives. The life we live is not our own. We were crucified with Christ. We walked up that mountain to Calvary with our very best offering in our hands. And we offered to God the treasure of our hearts, the most valuable thing in our lives. And we offered ourselves to Him. 
And what should have died on that mountain of worship was instead preserved by the mercy of God. When we walked back down that mountain, we had a life that was not our own. We had surrendered it all to Him. We received our life back from the dead. And Paul implores us, be careful what you do now with that life. It was offered in sacrifice to God. And it is still a sacrifice to God. What Paul is pleading with you to do is to give your very best to God. That's what worship meant to Abraham. That's what worship meant to David. That's what worship meant to Solomon. And that's what worship meant to Paul. It meant that you offer a living sacrifice unto God. That's when you really begin to see and really begin to measure spiritual growth in your life. What does a living sacrifice look like? It's about eyes that refuse to look upon evil with pleasure. It's about tongues that refuse to participate in immoral conversation. It's about hands that refuse to become involved in sin of any type. It's about a life that is lived in worship unto God. Hear what I'm telling you today. The foundation of worship is sacrifice. And worship encompasses the whole of your life. It's about giving to God your very best in everything you do, everywhere you are, everywhere you go, no matter who is watching. It's about living for God. I'm trying to tell you that worship doesn't just happen here in this building. Worship happens 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Worship is your lifestyle. And the problem is, some of us have said, this is my church, me. And over here is the real me. And never the two shall meet. I'm trying to tell you tonight that worship doesn't have alter egos. Worship did not split personality. Worship is who you really are. Paul said that we should present our bodies as living sacrifices. Please hear me today. Worship is not just spiritual. Worship involves your body. Some translations attempt to diminish the strength of Paul's words here by translating this as Offer yourselves to God. A much more general kind of a command. But that's not what Paul said. Paul knows how to say offer yourselves. It's exactly what he said in Romans 6 and 13. He's very capable of distinguishing offer yourselves from offering your bodies. 
Paul means exactly what he said. Worship is not just a bunch of spiritual stuff that goes on in heavenly places. You worship God with your physical body. It matters what you do. It matters what you say. It matters how you dress. It matters where you go. It matters what you watch, what you read, what you listen to. It matters what you do with this physical body. Listen how Paul says you should present your bodies. You should present your bodies, this flesh and blood. Holy and acceptable unto God. Holy means set apart unto God. That is exactly what a sacrifice is. It is something that has been set apart unto God. The sacrificial lamb was set apart. Our lives should reflect that reality. Paul said you should live your life as if it has been set apart unto God. We must set our bodies apart from the world as an act of worship unto God. Let me tell you, holiness still matters. The sacrifice of our bodies is described as acceptable unto God. It is pleasing to God when we separate ourselves from the world and offer our lives as a sacrifice of worship to Him. When sacrifices were offered on the altars of the Old Testament, the Scripture testifies they provided a sweet-smelling savor, a sweet-smelling aroma that was pleasing unto the Lord. The smell of the burnt offering went up to heaven as a sweet-smelling savor. And that's the way our lives should be. As God observes us, as He looks down and He sees what you do day by day, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, He should be pleased by what He sees. Not just when we're here. Anybody can throw your hands up in the air in the wonderful presence of Almighty God and say, Oh yeah, this feels good in here. I think I'll get another blessing tonight. But has it really touched you down in the deep places of your heart and caused a change of lifestyle? Because worship is about giving your very best to God. Just think about these words. Loving Christian As she made her way to Jesus She stumbled through the tears that made her blind That alabaster box was a whole year's worth of wages that she simply broke and poured out on the Lord. That's some kind of sacrifice. And later on, Jesus said, Leave her alone. She's been worshiping me. 
Let her alone. Don't bother her. She's been worshiping me. Everything she said was heard. As she poured her love for the master from her box of alabaster. How about you this evening? As we stand together all over the sanctuary. Whatever you feel like doing tonight. If you feel like coming tonight, come. If you feel like worshiping the Lord where you're at, worship the Lord there. Whatever God's calling you to do tonight, you should step out and do. I'm talking about true worship tonight. Worship is never cheap. Worship never comes easy. On somebody, you know where God brought you from. You know what He's done in your life. what we do in the altar, Lord. I'm giving you my life. I'm presenting my body unto you, a living sacrifice, holy, set apart for you, acceptable unto you, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, this is something I'm going to do if nobody else does it, Lord. The rest of my family doesn't do this. I'm going to do it, God. I want to worship you, Lord.
I heard it said a long time ago. If you live for God easy, it will be hard. But if you live for God hard, it will be easy. That's just some of our old timers ways of saying what Brother Dibble has preached to us tonight. If you make this to be some difficult task or challenge or something that you just feel it's just too much, it will not be an acceptable sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. But when you give your life as a sacrifice to Christ, that whether you're sleeping or you're awake, you present yourself a living sacrifice. Remember I said earlier that we never asked each other back in the day, are you going to service? Living sacrifice. I mean, what are we talking about here? It's who we are. We're not going because, oh, I need my blessing tonight. We're going because it's who we are. It's the life we live. Messages like this need to be preached constantly. Because we, we must be honest with ourselves and say, you know what? We fell off. We're, we're, we're not living this life the way it used to be lived. And some of the young people make it sound nicer and they said, we're living for God smarter, not harder. <laughs> I don't know if that's possible, but that's what you will hear. We're living for God smarter and not harder. Well, he didn't remove the word sacrifice. He didn't remove the word obedience. He didn't remove the word worship out of the scripture. So I don't know how we get smarter, but. There's no worship without sacrifice. We all need to examine ourselves and say, Lord, have I been living my life as a sacrifice? Or have I been punching the religious clock? I'm here, Lord. I need my blessing. Don't pass me by. Just saying, that's kind of how we've seen how things have been going. Give me my blessing. And you know what's so good about God, Brother Dibble? He knows our motive and he still does what he do. He is so good to us. He knows our motive. He knows we just came to get our, I need my blessing. Touch me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Heal me, Lord. We, he knows and he still says, go ahead. He knew Judas was a thief, and for three and a half years, he was gracious to him. Gave him space for repentance, gave him opportunity to right his wrong. There's no worship without sacrifice. Thank you, Brother Dibble. Thank you, Sister Dibble. 
I got to say, Brother Dibble, I guess we'll talk about this off air, but you all just brought ALI to Christ in the church. For those of you that don't know, Brother Dibble and Brother Readout, they lead the Apostolic Leadership Institute. And um, it's annual um, Bible college. And it's on the campus of um, Assumption College in Worcester, Massachusetts. And yeah, since the COVID stuff came about, we haven't been able to do it. And I'm not sure what we're doing in the future. But this is our devotion at nighttime. And this is our worship service at nighttime. Brother Dibble and Sister Dibble. And you, and you just get to get that, that, those meaty songs. Not the songs that, well, it made me feel good. I don't know. <laughs> maybe some of you might think these kind of songs, you know, I will give you all. You know, Maybe you all don't think that's kind of, you know, make you feel good. It makes me feel good because I want to give them all. But they just lead service in the morning and in the nighttime. And ALI is one of the purest environment I've ever been in where nobody is anybody. We're just loving the Lord and studying his word. And I haven't been to any place on earth like ALI where we get together and we're digging deep in the word of God. And we have. Brother Dibble let us know what we're doing about ALI. But you just got a little taste of ALI got some last night you got some tonight and the word of god is rich we're thankful for brother dibble sister dibble they're wonderful people of god and you want to have these people around in your life they have four wonderful children and all of them are living for god and those are the things i look at i look for what i would like to see in my life i want all my children living for god and so i want to be around people that have done it where their children are all of them are living for god and so whatever I can glean from them, whatever I can get from them, that's why I hang out with the people I hang out with. I always want to make sure I'm not the smartest one in the room. I want to hang out with people that's doing something I'm trying to do. And the Dibbles are certainly wonderful people of God. And they just, their dad, um, who we, what it was last year? Is it two years ago or last year? Two years ago, we buried their dad. Dad, he was something else. Oh, he was something else. Elder Dibble. Brother Dibble's got a brother that wear checkers red suit. A checkered red suit. I'm not going to mess with Fred. Let me stop. I'm not going to mess with Fred. Fred will get me. Not going to mess with Fred. I was at, I was at um, Youth Congress one year, and some kid was singing, and he had on a checkered red suit on the stage. I took a picture and sent it to Brother Dibble. I said, look at Fred. <laughs> hey, if you came from the Dibble family, you got to learn how to take a joke because Papa Dibble wasn't no joke. So, you know, if you couldn't take a joke from, they're all funny. They're all just kidders. But I love the Dibble family and I appreciate them. And make sure you greet them. They're down to earth people, salt of the earth people. Greet them, love them, let them know that we appreciate them. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you and have a wonderful rest of your evening. We will see you Sunday morning at 9 a.m. They will be with us Sunday morning at 9 a.m. And at the 1030 a.m. service, invite someone to church. And Brother Henry has the basket.
please give an offering tonight. Outreach tomorrow at 930. All right, let me give my offering tonight. Amen.